welcome. And thanks for tuning in to the Ears to You podcast, where we have interesting conversations between plumbing industry experts about matters pertaining to the South African plumbing industry. Let's start the conversation. Good day, everybody. Welcome to this Ears for You podcast, where our aim is for you to listen to our conversations about industry news and happenings. With me, I have Brendan Rendells, the Executive Director of the Institute of Plumbing, and Steve Brown, the Operations Manager of IOPSA. Gentlemen, Morning. welcome. Morning. So, so Steve, Steve, I know that um, last time we spoke um, about the, the KZN Relief Fund, and... Um, uh, and, and I think that's closed off now. Hey, Brendan, that uh, closed yeah. off at the beginning of May. Yeah. So, so give us a little bit of insight as to what happened there. You know, what has happened with yeah, the so fund where we are sitting. The, so with the relief fund, um, it closed off on the 29th of uh, uh, last month um, of April. And uh, I'm really proud to say that we raised uh, just over 130,000 Rand. Uh, in terms of the collections that came from industry, which was phenomenal. I mean, it really was really, really top-notch. So um, we've had quite a few of the individuals, uh, again, looking and saying, great that we don't have many that were affected, uh, and those that were were fairly severely uh, affected by the floods. So we've managed, uh, in conjunction with Bildit, uh, we've had the conversation there, and it's been agreed that we will be... Uh, building a house for Petrus. Uh, builders, uh, build it, sorry, have come to the party with just over 70,000. I think from IOPSA side, and it's unconfirmed yet, so in terms of the numbers, but we'll be looking at matching possibly the same and allocating money for furniture. Uh, the builder that's looking at doing, uh, that's building the house um, has also come to the party. We've had Plumlink, uh, Gary Chandler was chatting with Brennan um, the other day. I'm having a chat with him later on today with regards to the plumbing aspect. So there's a few things that we've still got to iron out. I think building a house, we've got to wait for the land to, to be given uh, so that uh, Petrus can build. Uh, Petrus went back into hospital, I think he comes out today. Uh, this is a chat that lost his three kids. Uh, we've managed to distribute uh, furniture and um bedding and clothes, etc., to others that have been affected in the floods. Those were the quick, easy ones that we could do. Obviously, the house taking a little bit longer. Then we had to do an inspection in Amlazi at a house that had uh, the embankment fell down. So the team from KZN went and had to go and see what could be done to try and alleviate any future damage. So we've got that and we've reinforced that. So we're busy finalising it today and we'll be able to put it out. But it's been... It's been really heartwarming, you know, to see the, the commitment coming from all sectors of our industry to you know, help. I mean, we can't replace people, but at least we can make things a little bit easier. So, again, to Brendan, the team, to everybody that has been involved, it's been awesome, absolutely amazing. PILB side, same thing. You know, you, there's just so many people that have contributed, you know, to mention, but we will uh, once we finalise the articles, et cetera. Yeah, and you know, if you don't mind, Leah, I think it's important. There's a couple of people that need a, a shout out: um, Quickot, Buildit, Plumlink, Advanced Valves. Um, those are the ones that really stand out in my mind as uh, as people that have really, really come to the party and have been so generous in their donations. Besides. You know, the, the, the smaller donations that we've re received from the average plumber and, and even from the public. But, uh, you know, those people that I've mentioned, I think 
you know, they really come to the party and, and put their hands in their pockets to, to help out the people that have been affected. So, uh, massive shout out and thank you. I think to also them. to our regions that came on board as well, you know, that, that supported KZN and, and where we were. So, again, it, it's just massive. And uh, as I say, we were in a meeting, um, and I'm sure, you know, Gareth won't uh, be offended by what I'm saying, but, you know, to sit in a meeting where one of our committee members is brought to tears. You know, because of the, the support that's come through for, for the guy that's worked for him for 25 years, we were all sitting there with lumps in our throats. And it's just the passion and words can't, cannot express um, how this is going to be, you know, a changing and a new beginning for, for Petrus, but, uh, and also those others that we've helped. But yeah, it really is heartwarming. Yeah, it is definitely, a, you know, it shows that we as an industry, you know, despite our differences, and we, we definitely can stand together. You know, and, and uh, pull together over time of such as this. But it's great, you know, great to see. Obviously, I mean, it's still ongoing, you know, the, 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 if I understand it correctly, Steve, that it's the committee that is running the, um, the trust fund, you know, and managing it yeah. from that point of view. And, um, and I, I, um, I think, as you indicated, Steve, that I think once everything is completed and settled, we're definitely going to give those shout outs to those people that, you know, stood out and uh, went over and beyond in, in, in this um, um, uh, effort. In this, uh... Once we finalise it, we still, we'll just go, we'll include it with, as we've done right from the dead beginning with uh, Brendan and Michelle. It's going to be audited and make sure that every RAND that's gone, that's the commitment that we put together, is going to be distributed. And, uh, yeah, we've got to make that difference. You know, I think understanding that, you know, in terms of the house, it's not going to be built in a day, but at least, you know, the funds will be paid over to uh, uh, the builder. We'll get all the invoicing done, et cetera. But it's, it'll be a start, and it's going to be a work in progress. But, yeah, exciting times uh, going forward anyway. Cool. Yeah. So, so, gentlemen, I just want to just uh, maybe moving on to a different subject, is that, as you know, that um, – um, the public comments phase closed out on the COC on the 19th of April. And a lot of people are, you know, under, you know, asking the question, well, what's happening now? Because they think, I think there's a, there's a thinking that all of a sudden, just because public comments phase, that's the end of the process. And, um, but I think uh, let's just have a little bit of a conversation around what that process is currently, how it should be unpacked. And then, but I think what's more important for you guys to just think about is that, it, you know, so if how does how will our environment look like without a COC? And then also, what is our thinkings behind the fact that you know where we're going to be moving forward with the COC in absence of the um, you know being in the standard from that perspective? Maybe have a little bit of a conversation as to why you know why why did why did it come out? Why why did it move out of the standard? But what is the reason behind that specific thing? So let me kick off by saying that. So the public comments phase uh, completed, as you know, 19th of uh, um, April, um, and it's, it's, a, it's a standard process. When any, when any standard is uh, amended, like any other regulation, it goes up for public comment. It allows the public to have input into the process, have their say, and then those comments must be obviously delivered by a certain date, which again, I repeat, 19th of April, the public comments have phased. Now what happens is that the technical committee at SABS, and, and I think it's important to understand who the makeup of the technical committee is. The technical committee are ordinary people from the public. And let me, no, let me, let me rephrase this. Not necessarily ordinary people. 
its expertise within the industry. So you, plumbers, can um, the public, they can write to SABS and say, we would like to join the committee and add our opinion into it and give our deliberations and all that stuff. So, so currently the technical committee at SABS is made up of industry experts, you know, from manufacturing, from the supply chain, uh, made up of plumbers, made up of engineers. So it makes up a whole mix of people and including um, that the Institute of Plumbing sits at the committee level as well. And um, currently PRRB also sits at that specific thing. And other associations like Inclusive Plumbers Associations, Women in Plumbing, um, uh, Plumbers Business Forum. Um, so we all sit there and we deliberate and we, we give our opinions. And, we, and we obviously we carry the, uh, our constituencies' opinions because we've got structures internally as well that talks down to the, the regions that come up. So anyway, the, 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 technic, the, the public comments are now collated and presented to the technical committee of which they need to go through the process of looking at the public comments phases going through, uh, pouring over them and seeing that there's something, you know, there might be an outcry that, no, no, it shouldn't be removed, or it might be the vice versa and say, yes, yes, we all for it from that point of view. But it's, but it's important that that stage goes through because you have to bring the, the consumers, um, uh, the public's comments into the process. So if I understand it correctly, Brendan, that committee is sitting in June sometime, not 100% sure. I think it's June. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we've got a confirmed date yet, Lee. I might be wrong, but um, I don't think we have a confirmed date yet. At this point in time, as far as we know, um, the technical committee received something like three hundred odd uh, public comments, which, to my understanding, is um, one of the highest uh, uh, outcomes of uh, public comment phases in virtually any piece of legislation. So that's really been, um, there's been a lot of public interest in it. And it's going to take the SABS a while to work through those public comments. Obviously, we don't know what's in those public comments. Um, they don't necessarily share that with us. But uh, be that as it may, I think yeah, the, the meeting's in June. And my understanding is that following that meeting, um, pretty soon thereafter, depending on what came out of the public comments, but pretty soon thereafter, um, the the change will be published. So, you know, for quite a while we've been we've been saying to people that uh, you know, sort of May June was more or less the the time period that one hundred two five four might change, and it looks like it's going to play out that way. Maybe it'll be June July. Yeah, when, when you say change, so we change. We're not too sure which way it will go. Put it that way. We don't know sure yet. Yeah. So it, 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 it all depends on the outcome of the public comment um, and then these processes that have to take place. But if any change is going to be made, um, you know, it's probably going to be, I'm guessing, somewhere between June and August. Um, you know, it's, 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 I know it's frustrating for the plumbers, you know, not having a fixed date, but there is a process that it has to go through. And, uh, you know, just to remind everybody that it hasn't changed until it's officially published and, and um, promulgated. At that point, the, the change will, will happen, if there's any change. Yeah, in the Government Gazette. So it's clear it's a document that gets sent out. Once the change, that, that's when it becomes official. 
if you remember about COVID, right. yes. COVID they always said it's only when it appears in the government gazette does it become official. So uh, when it's there, it is there. Like all other, you know, all other times, you know, where, where when the standards changed in the past, it is clearly noted in the government gazette from that point. But anyway, um, I think what's important to understand to our listeners as well is that that the bone of contention in the standards revolved around the fact that the PRLB was written into the standard. So um, I think just to contextualize that specific thing, while the statement is correct, it wasn't written in the sense of, and if you read the standard, it is clear, the standard makes reference to a professional body. Um, or no, it makes reference to the professional body. That was one thing that was deliberated about the word A and the, but uh, semantics. And and uh, PRLB writ was written in, uh, written in um, as a, you know, in a definition. So if there were multiple professional bodies, there would have been multiple definitions to that professional body. But be as it may, the, the deliberations took place. And the ultimate thing is that, that they weren't, uh, the decision wasn't to take out the, um, just the professional body. It's, it seemed to have gone all the way that the whole COC was removed. So the reality is that the committee at the end of the day said, remove the word professional, not professional body, remove the wording, making reference to the PRRB, um, but uh, allow for the, um, uh, um, a process that a certificate needs to be issued, but it needs to be issued from an authority body, uh, a body that can maintain and monitor that specific. But there we get it. I'm just giving you a little bit of history, and as you guys know, and more to our listeners, that ultimately what happened is that, and it's the way in which SABS structures work, is that um, all decisions are made by consensus. And it was interesting to note that, that the committee agreed that the CIC should remain, but the PRRB has to be removed. That's what ultimately was agreed upon. And um, ultimately what happened is that because it's by consensus, um, one party did not agree and therefore it moved forward. And I think that's a lot of where the, the arguments from the public com came from. And if I understand it correctly, the public comments are, and again, we don't know the details, but obviously we know a few people that had submitted it, indicated they, you know, we, should ha we must have a COC for the industry, you know, in some form or another. Um, and um, Brendan, I wanted to ask you from an institute point of view, because we've had a lot of conversations about this, is what, what is the institute's stance with respect to a certificate of compliance in the industry? Yeah, thanks. So, yeah, uh, uh, IOPS's stance has always been um, for many years that uh, we support the need for a professional body, first and foremost. Um, uh, we believe that we need a profession. If we're going to be viewed as a professional, uh, as a profession, uh, uh, and seen as professionals by the rest of the industry and by the, the broader community, then we need a professional body to promote that and to ensure that we, that, that uh, plumbers are maintaining that kind of standard and that are, they are acting like professionals. So that's the first thing. Um, we don't necessarily uh, uh, say that that professional body has to be PRB. Um, there could be multiple. Um, and at, at the moment, there's only PRRB, so there hence our support for PRRB. But, uh, you know, if in future there's a, there's more than one, then, you know, we certainly would have a look at them. Uh, 
Um, following on from that, uh, as almost a natural progression, is we support the need for a COC in the industry that is uh, that is monitored and uh, implemented through a reputable, recognised organisation. Again, be that uh, be that a, a government department or um, even the municipalities or a professional body or whoever it is, um, it, it could be any organization. At this point in time, once again, you know, we've had a look at what's out there. We've had a look at the, the, the different kind of models that have been suggested and what have you. And uh, at this point in time for us, there really is only one COC that, uh, that has the checks and balances, the controls, the 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 um, the real meat behind it. You know, real weight. It's actually it's got some substance to it. And um, is the PRRBCOC. And um, yeah, so that's that's our stance. Um, we definitely believe that there's a need for a COC, and we can see in the gas industry, the electrical industry, the electric fencing industry. Um, the, the fire extinguisher industry and even what's happened in our industry with COCs over the past few years, um, we can see the huge impact it has in terms of compliance um, and in terms of ensuring that only qualified individuals are, are doing their work to protect the public. So, you know, it's a no-brainer. We need it. We definitely need it. Yeah. So, so thanks for that, Brendan. I think what's important to understand, you know, for me is that it's not about you know, as I keep saying to everybody, a COC is merely a piece of paper. It means nothing. There's, there's nothing. There it is. There's the piece. Of, it's tangible. You can touch it and whatever it is. But a piece, I, I sign a piece of paper or I give you a piece of paper that has a lot, a lot of words on it. It actually means nothing. It's the supporting, the supporting process that is behind that certificate. And I think that's very important to understand. And it's exactly what you said, Brendan, is that, that you know, currently IOPS has will support any certificate in the process, but provided it has the definitive defined process and what sits in the background that supports that certificate because it means nothing, the certificate on its own. It's that supporting process. That's the one thing. The second thing is not just about, um, it's how we define what that supporting process behind that certificate is. You know, that's the debate. I mean, that thing, because we can debate... We can say, well, let's just accept that municipality certificate. But then what does it mean when, when there's, no, there's no review process behind that, um, that um, plumber, you know, and getting onto that, uh, that, that municipality that's down there, you know, wherever it is, if it's down in um, uh, Mpumalanga or not down in Mpumalanga, in Mpumalanga, what does it mean? Then, then what happens is when he, if he transgresses in that specific jurisdiction, then what happens is he goes to the next one. So we got to understand what the fundamental basis is behind a certificate before we can actually say, you know, yes, that is a certificate worth signing or using in the industry or that certificate and that certificate. So uh, in, in the same stance as what um, IOPSA has, PRRB has the same thing. Obviously, as PR, PRRB, we will defend our territory with regards to the COC, but there's, and there's no ways that we are against allowing any other entrances into the market. You know, we're not exclusive. The, the, the issue is, is that we need to make sure that as an industry, we need to make sure that we're talking apples with apples. Because if we don't, then what's going to happen is that the industry will play each other up on each other. Okay, exactly the same as I used with Mapumalanga. 
the one guy will move from one um, professional body to the next professional body. And then we're not achieving the objective. We're not achieving the objective of trying to bring professionalism to our industry because the one professional body is singing off this hymn sheet and the other professional body is singing off that hymn sheet. Yeah. yeah I would agree with but you. Know, the, sorry, go, Steve. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I think that, you know, early this morning before we started meetings, I was going through, I received the Plumbing Africa magazine yesterday and there was a very interesting article in there with regards to uh, Rory McNamara, and I think I'm not going to read it all, but, you know, the key pertinent things that come out there for me is exactly what Lee's saying there, is that we're not, you know, industry's not uh, uh, in, sort of exclusive in terms of that, but the, the roles and responsibilities and accountability and the checks and balances all have to meet, you know, a, a requirement. And currently the COC and the backup from PIRB has been the industry norm. We can't have a... Uh, a, a Western Cape, for example, you know, or a KZN, you know, in its in its exclusivity. I mean, whatever we have, the industry has to work for all South Africans, and and having these little breakaways and whatever, so long as they meet those requirements, it's great. Um, but when it becomes wishy-washy and there's no accountability, as I see, when a client or a consumer sends me a, a certificate that's come off a plumber's own sort of letterhead or whatever. And they say, well, I've got the certificate. And I'll say, ma'am, sir, I can't help you because there is this is not an industry one. There's no accountability. There's no checks and balances. We don't even know if the individual is actually qualified. So it's not worth the piece of paper that's written on. So unfortunately, we can't help you. And that's what I think industry doesn't need. Yes. You know, um, just I'll use an example. So um, late yesterday afternoon, I, uh, my last meeting for the day uh, at about 430 five was a was a meeting with a district municipality and i won't mention the name of the district municipality but they represent five municipalities in a particular um, part of of uh, south africa uh, so those between those five municipalities they have three building control offices between five municipalities they have no water inspection um, you know, and so what's happening is their bylaw requires something very similar to what's, what's currently everybody calls a schedule four. You know, I think every, all plumbers will, will, will know the schedule four type of certificate, which you uh, normally fill in before, um, before occupation will be given. So the, the person that's in charge of these handful of building control officers has never even heard of it. Doesn't even know that it's in the um, it, it's a requirement in the bylaws. And then obviously they have no processes in place to um, to do anything with those certificates. So that's the type of example that that we come across in the industry is um, here's a requirement. It's not exactly the same thing, but it, it's an example of what we encounter in the industry. You know, there's there's a requirement in a bylaw for a particular document to be issued, and and the people that are responsible for that document do not even know that such a document exists. There's no uh, there's no control of it. There's no measure. There's no nothing in it. So, in other words, anybody anybody could fill in, could write in that document, could hand it in uh, for the transfer of the property, and the transfer will go through. And and there just is no control of it. So that's kind of what we're saying you know it, if it, if the certificate has nothing behind it no value no no checks and balances then 
it's worth absolutely nothing. You know, you might as well you might as well write something on a napkin and uh, and hand it in. It's it's got the same value. Yeah, just as a as a as a note, and you gentlemen know it, we receive more complaints at the PRRB on the Schedule 4 certificate than we actually get from our own certificate. And but there's literally there's nothing we can do about it. And when we say to the clients, you know, go to the city, it it, it is based on this. You know, there, there's a process within this the, the, that specific city where you have to go and you know raise your complaints. And they said it's useless. I can't get hold of them. I can't engage with them. When I do get engaged with them, they just do nothing about it. So then, then obviously the default is to us, and there's not really much we can do. And I think it's you know same as the institute. You receive numerous complaints. You know what can you do because they're not part of. You you can't hold the people accountable. In the process and that's the key at the end of the day it's about holding people accountable for what they're doing uh, rightly or you know uh, uh, when i say accountable and i don't mean when you hold somebody accountable obviously there's there, there's recourse to that accountability and everybody thinks oh kick out and all that but it's not accountability in that sense it's accountability saying yeah you did wrong but now let's in our the professional body or within any organization let's help you get from where you are and improve yourself, you know, make yourself better at the end of the day. But you've got to walk the journey with the body at the end of the day. But there was something you, something that that I think what we've got to understand is I think the general consensus out there um, um, uh, is that, that a certificate of compliance is a non-negotiable. It must happen in the industry. There, there's still a, a debate around the PRRB and... Um, where it should be housed and all that stuff, which is fine. Don't have that problem. But I think the conversation in the industry needs to be shifted from, okay, guys, in principle, we agree to the fact that we've got to have a certificate of compliance. That's non-negotiable. The conversation should be, says, what is the support structure and what does that look behind that certificate? So that if anybody else comes along, like you said, Brendan, the Institute of Plumbing will support any body, any certificate, any process, provided they see that that it has got the support structure and the necessary processes behind it that brings the value to that certificate. So for me, I think we need to shift that conversation um, to the fact, well, what does that structure look behind behind any body, and I, I mean using it inverted commas, that wishes to issue a certificate of compliance. So when I say, and again, I want to be specific, when I say any body, let's be clear. It's not a person in their private capacity. It's not Joe Soap's plumbing supplies creating their own certificate because that ain't going to work. That is not even on the table for me, you know, for a discussion. But it's more about, okay, guys, we recognize certificate X because we understand everything meets that requirements. Or alternatively, a body that wishes to issue a certificate of compliance meets to uh, meet all the X requirements. Comments? On that one? Yeah, I think 100%. I think it's, you know, what we've always said. Uh, and again, I just want to, sorry, the watchdogs are going off there. But I, I think that what we need to do, and I, I think Brendan spent a lot of time in the field as of I. And, you know, we have these conversations on a daily basis. And, and you get two camps. 
you know, you'll get the, the guy who goes, oh, great, I don't have to do this, no more COCs, no more CPD, rah, rah, rah. But then when you sit down and you have that conversation, it's like, okay, so let's look at the, the, the impact that it's going to have on you and, and, and industry. And let's, let's be real. It opens up doors to try and find who's going to be accountable, to go and even do the checks and balances in terms of, of uh, ensuring that that individual certificate is actually correct. You know, we know what that's like to go and get all those verifications. So I agree 100%, you know, if, if there's a, a, a rule of thumb in terms of what is a, a, the requirement, how it's going to be accounted, et cetera, et cetera, and the guidelines, then 100%. Uh, but without that, we're walking into a minefield. Yeah, you know, uh, you're 100% right. And I, I think what we've, got to, what we've got to always remember, why do we want to see us? So that's that's what we must always keep in our minds. What is the purpose of a COC? We kind of, uh, you know, sometimes you get into this whole big debate and you forget why why did the COC come in place in the first place, and why why is IOPSA in support of a COC? Why does IOPSA want a COC in the industry? Uh, and the reasons there's three key reasons for me. Number one is its protection of the public, and that's. That's really, really important. It's to ensure that the public is receiving what, they, what they're paying for and that what they're paying for is safe and functions correctly and, uh, and, and doesn't cause any damage or diseases or scalding or any of that sort of thing. That's point number one. Point number two is, is compliance to the laws of our country. We have laws in this country and, and it's uh, every citizen of the country has to comply to the laws of this country. That's, that's how a society works. If, if none of us uh, care about the law and we just do our own thing, then we end up with anarchy and it's a complete mess. So the way South Africa works, it's a constitutional democracy, it means that all of us need to comply to the law. Point number two. The, the, and the last point is, is protection for the professional. Because what we've seen, and this is a very important point for our industry, is what we have seen in the, in the last years from about 2015, 2016 is a massive growth in informality in the plumbing industry. And we've seen uh, while that growth has been happening, we've seen a decline in formal plumbing businesses. Um, we've also seen a decline in the number of people attending colleges. We've seen a decline in the number of people getting qualified, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's also about protecting the professional plumber that has gone through the, the, all the stages of, of, um, of qualification to know exactly what they're doing and how it works and why it works and how things should be done. Um, and, uh, and to protect them from individuals, the, these sort of fly-by-night individuals that wake up one day and just decide they're going to be a plumber because they know how to join two pipes together and think they can do plumbing. So for me, if the CFC, any CFC or any more document that's introduced by an organization, it's got to fulfill those three roles for me. Otherwise, it's completely useless. Uh, and so that starts to talk to uh, how do we protect the public? What measures do we have in place uh, to to go out and to see that the public is being protected, that things are being done properly. Um, how are we checking 
that we and making sure that that uh, the the standards and laws are being complied to. And and lastly, how are we ensuring that pe- the the people that are allowed to issue these certificates? How are we making hundred percent sure that those are the properly qualified individuals who are um, uh, what is the word competent, who are competent to to do this kind of work? And for me, those if those three elements are not there, well, what's the point of the COC? Then you just got a COC for a COC sake. Um, thanks, Brendan, for that. I think uh, pretty well said. Um, and very much supported. Um, but I think what we've got to remember is that, that um, as organizations, you know, we have to look at the bigger picture. And what you find, you know, a lot of members or um, um, belonging to associations or registered individuals, um, registered with the PRLB or uh, members of IOPSA or Women in Plumbing or Business Plumbers Forums or any other association, when they approach the associations, um, they may have a disagreement, um, have an argument or whatever, complaint or whatever, but their approach, 99.9% of, of the time is coming from, oh, it's about me. It is about me as an individual. It's acti- uh, impacting me. What they don't understand is that, well, we might acknowledge their, their complaint, we are we got to look at the bigger picture and what the coc does is the coc in is holding people accountable as individuals they hold them in. so when they argue the fact about the coc because obviously so let me just take one step back obviously when people get held accountable it's a negative for them they've been exposed they think that they are bad boys and all that stuff. So yes, the COC acknowledges you have been bad, but because he, that individual has been bad, he then thinks the whole process is bad. And it, they can't look at it like that. And that's very important to understand to the listeners is that, that we as industry bodies have to look at the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is about accountability as a collective in the individual not because of accountability for you yes you're going to be held accountable you're going to be held accountable for what you do there might be recourse bring you back to um, bring you up to speed again or whatever it is but then don't try and spread that problem that you have in your uh, your individual across the board because you can't do it that way because we're looking at the bigger picture and um you are fighting it for yourself. And that, I think that's a very important thing to understand. Yeah, I think, Lee, you know, right in the beginning, you know, that sort of aspect came across to the fore. But I think, you know, every year, and I think, you know, we can all attest to it, is that we're seeing less and less of that. I think what we're seeing is uh, the engagement, uh, the communications that are going out, the plumber taking pride in himself and, you know, attending the CPD and other discussion altogether. But definitely we've seen, you know, how the plumbers sort of engaged and, and uplifted themselves and, and some to real high levels, you know. And, and again, we can only go on that based on the work that they've done. And that, you know, whenever I talk to the plumbers, I'll say, as much as it's a pain in the ass, but I'm learning. And, and you know, I'm not going to make this mistake again. And I've got to commend our auditors because, you know, they've got a, a role in terms of teaching, you know, and, 
and, and in many cases, mentoring, you know, just to make sure and there's there's somebody to contact, there's somebody to communicate with. So so we've done this in up, up to, um, and yes, you do get that individual that is about me, myself, and our type of thing, but that's not a, a broad, as broad as it was a couple of years ago. No, definitely support that, uh, Steve, that uh, observation. I mean, from, a, from I mean, the, the Malise, um, the operations manager on PRRB side, you know, came in at the beginning of the week and said that the office is number of calls being received, the number of people that are engaging with the PRRB is off the charts at the moment. You know, so it definitely shows there's definitely an upswing in the market. There's no doubt about it. We can see it in the numbers. We can see it in the figures as well. Definitely. And, and even even just that, you know, you know, uh, like yourself, uh, uh, Steve, you have this gut feel in the industry. And there's no doubt there, there's definitely a shift in the sense of, you know what, we are we are heading in the right direction that we need to be a professional industry. There's no doubt about it. Still a long journey to go. There's no doubt about it. But I think there's definitely that real, and I'm going to use, you know, we always say that there's this undercurrent. I think it's a very strong undercurrent. And it's, I think it's going to be gaining momentum going forward. No doubt about it. I mean, just yeah, to, you know, after that, uh, when I was at the office, uh, the PIRB office last week, I mean, I was having a chat with someone uh, who heads up the CPD department. And, you know, she's telling me, you know, of where, you know, after hours she's taking calls and assisting plumbers. And that's going the extra mile, you know. And again, we get a lot of negativity coming back about CPD. But I was really impressed, you know, when, when you've got an individual that's going outside of working hours to try and meet the requirements of the plumber. And, and that, to me, is what's making the difference, is that just going that extra mile, just, just you know, helping and guiding and sorting. And, you know, again, I think, you know, from, from that type of thing, like I said to someone, like, to me, that's really good, that, that we're actually going that extra mile. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, there's some, there's some real concrete signs of change. You know, if you, if you go back and you have a look at the queries and the, uh, and the questions IOPSA gets uh, for training. So if we go back four years ago, um, the, it mostly was related to geezer trays, vacuum breakers, uh, um, anti-siphon loops, those sort of things on geezers. Uh, we've moved on in the in the past five, uh, four years on that's on that on those kind of topics. We, we're not talking about those things anymore. So the big topics that are coming up now um, is lagging, uh, is uh, earthing and bonding. Uh, is uh, you know positioning of the of the PRV uh, those types of things you know so we can see that the knowledge level has shifted um, and and is going more now to the more nuanced and more complex um, aspects of a geyser installation. If we talk to the suppliers out there, um, you know, I was talking to one of the major major suppliers in the country, and uh, and they were telling us that. Uh, they, they basically, in, in their smaller stores, didn't stock 28 mil copper tube and didn't stock lagging uh, because it wasn't selling. You know, and any any uh, organization that understands uh, sales will know that you only stock the stuff that sells. You know, you're not going to stock stuff that's going to sit on your shelves. So if there's a demand for something and they start selling it, so they've had to change their model dramatically to include uh, R1 lagging and to include 28 mil copper tube, um, to be include uh, bonding strips and things like this, because all of a sudden, over the last couple of years, the demand has shifted to use these kind of products which are compliant. 
And, and so all these things together show us that uh, the, the positive impact it has, the real meaningful on the ground positive impact that it is having. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and that's, 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 when I sp- that, that's a good example of what I spoke about early on with regards to the bigger picture. We can have a long conversation around training, how the COC is impacting on the training side. You know, not just from a uh, yeah. upskilling of, 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 of guys moving to the qualification, but upskilling of the workforce at the end of the day, you know, yeah. bringing that level up. That's, I mean, it, it, a testimony to the amount of people that have in IOPS's training programs, testimony to the amount of um, uh, training programs that IOPS is bringing on to, you know, bring into the market, because it's not just because of the fact that it's because of the fact of the demand that has been asked out there. We need to go over and above. And then it's only as a collective in the bigger thing. If we uplift ourselves as an industry, as a collective, we will then only start really uplifting the industry together. Yeah. Yeah. And then also in terms of the insurance sector, you know, again, we've got to give credit there because, uh, as I said, and I don't know if I mentioned it, but I was down at a block of flats in the Mans of Toti um, about two weeks ago, and the non-compliance notices had been submitted by the proactive plumber, and they got hold of their insurer, and in some points they were going to endorse certain aspects if they weren't being rectified. So, again, you've got that push-pull, you know, where the insurers are taking awareness of, of the non-compliance and the result damage it could be caused due to the non-compliance so they're also pushing that envelope for the plumbers to upgrade and everything else so it's got a real you know the circle of life is just just closing you know that everybody is on board in terms of talking compliance and and uh using professional people yeah 100 anyway gentlemen uh we're out of time at this point anything exciting happening on your side steve when are you off to the next uh uh, my next one is, uh, I'm just trying to think, I'm going back down to Georgia again in a couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, no, no major travels for at least the next sort of two weeks. So my missus is either happy or unhappy. Uh, but yeah, just uh, trying to catch up. It's been uh, a heavy couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, that's where I am right now. Just finalizing a few bits and pieces that have fell behind. Yeah. And then your side, Brendan, other than we're going to be jumping off this meeting and then we're going to have well, not meeting that's this conversation and we're going to have another conversation in the, it's actually already should have been started already but we definitely want to have half past then we have half past nine yeah so i think the the big thing for us coming up is right now is working very hard on the plumbing in daba and the awards dinner and uh, i know prb on the the fat night and the champions for charity so i i think in maybe the next podcast or a future podcast we'll talk more about that but a uh, lot of lot of very cool interesting things happening and i think um, a lot for our industry to be excited about and look forward to so watch this space yeah no doubt about that thanks for having listened to this episode of ears to you please tune in for our next episode